out of everybody on the podcast, who would be your sidekick? Or who do you consider to be your sidekick? I mean, clearly Dave. Dave is your sidekick? What? Yeah. No, I feel like oh. out of everybody, Brad has sidekick energy, and he would tell you that himself. He is literally male slave, though. You yeah. Can't, you, He's no everybody's bitch boy. <laughs> okay, male sidekick Brad. Male sidekick. Okay, we can't just change his name. We, <laughs> I mean, we didn't. He's <laughs> yeah, still Brad. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, well, who's yours then? Uh, well, I mean, now that I have Casey, I don't need any of you anymore. <laughs> well, we'll make sure that we tell Casey that. <laughs> yeah. I'm comfortable with Actually, that, she'll yeah. probably be stoked. Yeah, she'd be ex- excited. But yeah, I feel like she's my, uh, she's, you know, she's just my, my person now. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> you my boy, Blue. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on player options in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Dave, and this episode is called Sidekicks, Up Front with the Backup. Love that. Adorable. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be exploring the optional rules in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything for building non-player characters who join the party and actually progress the power with your player characters. But how do you keep combat from blogging down? When do you award a sidekick? How do you keep agency and involvement balanced? All right, so this strikes me as kind of one of those things that you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Where do you guys fall on this? Do you want to roll initiative? Yeah, let's do it. I want the green one. I want want the red one. 17. 15. 11. I love it. I freaking love it. I love sidekicks because it gives me something else to do and uh, it allows me to add more danger. More danger. You guys were level two with a sidekick and fighting purple worms because you had sidekicks and NPCs. That's true. And they killed one. An NPC and a sidekick? Well, the purple worm. The purple worm. Yes, you did kill purple worm at level two. You also punched gelatinous cube at level one. And lived. You are not as smart. (laughs) We're having a great time. (laughs) Confidently incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) Who's next? Uh, 15. 15, Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I I struggled with it because as a player, this is absolutely one thing I want to I want to do. I want to play around with. I want to manage and have some extra stuff to do. Uh, but as a DM, I don't want this anywhere near my table. This is just another person to go um, in the in- initiative order, and that just slows everything down uh, because I run it that way. So I think from the DM side, I gotta hate it, but from the player side, these things are great. I love it both ways. <laughs> Not even touching that, Megan. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's How droll. Oh my God. Uh, but no, for real. Um, as a DM, I think that it adds a little sense of urgency. And like, if you kill them off, it adds a little sense of danger to your characters. And then as a player, it adds a little bit of an emotional connection. Yeah, right? it like if, more not, stake in it, right? Yeah, if you're afraid to role play with the people at the table because they're brand new, give them a sidekick. Give them somebody to talk to who's not the weirdo in the corner. It gives them a, you know, a, a character to kill that isn't their main character. Yeah, make your players cry. Well, that <laughs> is always the goal, right? But that's why I kick them under the table. Tears. Okay, before we get any deeper into the conversation about sidekicks, let's cut to a quick break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. 
If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's Mimic or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Before we get any further into this ad break, I would just like to take a second to thank Papa Squat 2000, Travis Coleman, Spencer Mosher, and Brandon Music for joining our Patreon. Thank you so much, it means a lot. There is a lot happening at It's a Mimic this week because it's always a lot of fun for us when we have an anniversary. For those of you who have stuck around for a couple of years, you'll know that we always drop a random special about a random topic on January 29th. And this year, we have two. This Saturday, all patrons will be able to celebrate a successful four years of It's a Mimic and join Terry and me as we unbox and critique the deluxe version of arguably the most famous D&D adventure in the last decade. And here on the regular channels, Megan, Terry, and I laugh harder than we have in a long time as we address 40 questions about the end of Game of Thrones. But before that, on Friday, we've got the final Legend Lore Online episode for Brass Tier Patrons, where I tackle all the D&D Beyond exclusive releases from 2022. And before that, we have one of the busiest days in the podcast's history. Now that our giant series is done, it's time to unveil a brand new series that's been spearheaded by some of the most devious and treacherous minds to ever roll dice. They're going to dig into some of the most atmospheric and grossest enemies in all of fantasy tabletop role-playing games, and they're going to do it on a monthly basis, with new episodes dropping every four weeks. To celebrate this series launch, we're even releasing a supplemental episode for Silver Tier Patrons. And finally, releasing on Thursday as well for Brass Tier Patrons and above, is the unboxing and first impressions of Dragonlance, Shadow of the Dragon Queen, Deluxe Edition. I went through the book myself last month, but this time I sit down with our resident board game king and figure out what exactly the Warriors of Kryn offers to people interested in more than just the Dragonlance book. By the end of the week, there will be 17 episodes available on Patreon, wrapping up the first month, and then we're going to pump the brakes a little bit and slow down to a more regular pace there. But for now, to celebrate the end of one fantastic year and the start of an even better one, I hope you enjoy seven episodes in a single week. Thank you to everyone for sticking with us so far. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so first of all, I spent a lot of fucking time thinking about sidekicks. Like, a lot of time thinking about it, so bear with me on this. Fair enough. Sidekicks are so built into our zeitgeist that we don't really think about them as being secondary characters anymore in most popular media. We don't consciously pigeonhole characters into sidekick status anymore. As such, it took me a while to determine who qualifies as a true sidekick and who is just a partner or an extended side character. Is Han Solo a sidekick? Is Beavis? What about Gandalf or Buzz Lightyear or Lilu from The Fifth Element? Any of those sidekicks? Anakin's the Padawan, but is he a sidekick? Scooby-Doo is the name on the show, but he's not really the hero, so he does kind of fit into the slot of a sidekick most of the time. Luigi runs around independently of Mario more often than not and never even interacts with him half the time. So is he a sidekick? Who has more impact on the story, Snow White or Prince Charming? Who's the actual main character when Matt Smith is the 11th Doctor? And who's the main fucking character in the shit show that is the entire Terminator series? Yeah. (laughs) Everyone gets sidekick status at some point during that, and then not. And then again, maybe. And then just murdered in the opening credits sometimes. So, it's okay. They'll they'll undo it in the next movie. Yeah. So, I did some digging and some Googling, and I went for a long freaking walk on Saturday morning so I could clear my head about it. Because this drove me nuts for about three days, and I could not find an answer about uh, what makes a sidekick. There's a bunch of conflicting information. So, I narrowed it down to about four clear rules that are my own. 
And the reason that we're talking about it is because when you apply a sidekick to D&D, you should be following these rules. One, they support, enable, and encourage the main character's agency, but they keep their own agency to the scene and not the story. What I mean by that is they're here right now to help you with their with your thing. When they have their own thing to do, they go away and it's passive. I go home to spend a quiet evening with my wife. I go home to work in my workshop to to make a little extra coin. There's no big story agency there. Yeah, you, you fade to black until they come back. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, two, their arcs are always smaller than the clearly defined main character's arc, and they spend less time in the spotlight. When you think about your sidekick, you need to, even if they're the quest giver, and sometimes they can be, they can be a mentor or a quest giver, but they don't necessarily have to be. Not every quest giver is a sidekick. They can, but again, they're not in the spotlight. They just push the story forward. Three, they provide a foil emotionally, intellectually, or thematically for the main character to bounce off of. And I don't mean a mirror image. That's usually the antagonist. Moriarty to Sherlock, mm. right? They're the... I mean, Marvel movies are so fucking bad for that. It's the exact same powers, but a different guy, but evil, right? I mean, the first Iron Man movie, Ant-Man, every one of Captain America's bad guys like they're just the inverse version of and that's not what we're talking about those aren't sidekicks even though they might appear to be sometimes they're not truly the antagonist of the story so think uh, Winter Soldier is a good example mm. um, he is a sidekick he looks for a moment to be the bad guy he appears to be but for the most part he teams up and he is there to make Cap look bigger and better so I started to list out the famous sidekicks and I realized that there are sidekicks from pretty much every genre even though we tend to think about superheroes mostly because of Robin and Bucky Barnes um, they're the two most famous ones but we have Jimmy Olsen Kato from Green Hornet Ned to Spider-Man in recent years mm. right these are clear sidekicks that follow all four of the other rules yeah the guy in the chair the guy in the chair yeah <laughs> um in science fiction we have chewbacca who's clearly han solo's sidekick r2 and 3po act as sidekicks to move the plot forward or to be a foil off of of uh luke getting that hologram at the beginning yeah, they're even sidekicks to each other <laughs> yep yeah. um Morty from Rick and Morty, Bender from Futurama, Ford Prefect, Newt from Aliens, even Doc Brown slides into sidekick status half the time. I love the Newt call out. I, yes. Newt's adorable. I have strong misgivings about the movie Aliens. Yeah. Except for Newt. Newt is, is my favorite mostly. Good soup. Mostly. <laughs> um, in comedy, you get Barney Rubble, Ethel from I Love Lucy, Silent Bob, Garth from Wayne's World, uh, George Costanza is clearly a sidekick. There are tons even in drama movies. I was thinking of Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Goose from Top Gun, Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad, although you could argue that he does in later season get his own story. Yeah. But in season one, they were planning to kill him at the end of the season. There was no big arc there. He was there so Walter White could break some bad. Have his moment. Yeah. Um, in cartoons, we get Snoopy, Genie from Aladdin, Gromit, Penny and Brain from Inspector Gadget, Patrick from SpongeBob, and my personal favorite is Launchpad McQuack. What a great character. So good. Yeah. Um, you'll notice that a lot of the times they even have more power than the hero, but they don't have more agency, and that's the difference. Doc Brown is smarter than Marty, but he does less. Genie has more power than Aladdin, but his his hands are bound by what he can do, right? So yeah. uh, in horror, we have Willow to Buffy, Randy Meeks from Scream, Ed from Shaun of the Dead, the dog from I Am Legend, whose <laughs> name is... Sam, I, I think. Sam? Couldn't tell you. 
Um, and hot take, I believe that the main priest from The Exorcist is actually the sidekick. Yes, he does the big thing at the very end of the movie, but he is there to just beef up the other priest for like an hour and a half of that movie. Yeah. In fantasy, we have Sala and Short Round from Indiana Jones, Donke, Braun from Game of Thrones, Tattoo from Fantasy Island, Gabriel from Xena, uh, Ron and Hermione, and Samwise Gamgee, who is a sidekick, come at me. No, 100% sidekick. Agreed. Yeah. Now, there are usually, when it comes to evil sidekicks, they're just henchmen. Like, there are very few real evil sidekicks that push the agency forward and act as a foil instead of just saying, yes, sir, right away, sir, and then off they go. For the most part, Bond villains are just henchmen. With a gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to um, Iago from Aladdin, Smee from Hook, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's very problematic character from Django Unchained, uh, and Starscream, they are foils. They are there to be sidekicks. But I kept coming back to what are in my head the four most classic sidekicks of all time. Tinkerbell, Igor, Tonto from The Lone Ranger, and of course Dr. Watson. Do you guys have any, have I clearly missed a sidekick? I like that how like out of all of these a classic to you is Tinkerbell. 100%. Yeah. Well, Peter Pan is such an old story and and she shows up in, in my head she's not Peter Pan's sidekick, she's Wendy's sidekick. Mm. Every time that they get into any sort of shit, Tinkerbell is around and when she's not there, um that like they still get into shit without her but it's not quite as effective. Mm-hmm. Um Tinkerbell is I mean, I think in the original story she's very clearly Peter Pan's sidekick, but in my head it's all about Wendy. Uh, yeah. That that that's the main character in Peter Pan. Fair, fair, fair. Have I have you noticed that there's not a whole lot of female sidekicks? I mean, outside of comic books, there's all sorts, but like, well, it's because they're built to be killed off to make the other male characters be extremely extravagant. There's a word for that in writing. What is that word? Fiction. Shitty. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm gonna have to Google it. But there's an actual word in writing that's used for when female characters are utilized to make a male character seem stronger or get beefed up for something that happens to the female character. Well, women are always the thing to earn. They're the trophy. You save the maiden and it goes all the way back i mean we can sit there and talk about toxic masculinity all you want but rapunzel snow white sleeping beauty these were helpless women that needed to be saved they had sidekicks though they did have sidekicks but how often are the girls the sidekick even in today's media when you have a powerful girl nine times out of ten she outshines the the male like it's a female empowerment thing beyond them so it's almost overcompensating when we're talking about sidekicks when that when it's that conversation what was the name of daenerys's um, female Misandra. Yeah, that's yeah. That immediately what came to mind when I was thinking. Like, usually, if there's a female sidekick, it's to another female. Yeah, yeah. I would say that Hermione is one of the few that isn't, and even like. What's problematic, what's-her-face on Twitter, has now said that Hermione should have ended up with Harry and has been reduced to love interest in even the original author's fanfic. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's a little painful. Drama! <laughs> um, so, what are sidekicks in D&D designed to do? Well, it says right in the material uh, that they're there to fill in one of a handful of slots to either be a second character uh, for a player. This is ideally, they say, when you only have one or two players um, or a player plays a sidekick as their only character. And this is someone who wants a simpler kind of game. That seems real simple to me, and I don't like that. Um, The players jointly play the sidekick or the DM plays the sidekick. I don't like that one. Mm. 
let's talk real quick. It's not in the show notes, um, but let's talk real quick about the DMPC. Are you guys familiar with this concept? Yep. yep. So for those of you listening who aren't, the DMPC is the Dungeon Master player character. It's usually an insert um, for the Dungeon Master who is not actively playing and wants to be playing and keeps giving his one special character the biggest, best, coolest shit and often overshadowing the others. Um, I think that DMPCs are problematic. We shouldn't. We should avoid that if we can. Yeah. Um, however, do you guys, would you rather have the players controlling it then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like it's two different scenarios. Because I feel like if you're having a sidekick specific to a player character, then there's negotiation for who does what within its leveling up capabilities and all those things. I feel like the problem we're talking about right now is the character that a DM just makes to have in the game to make either your lives not great or better or broken. Like it just, which I don't think is necessary. I feel like it's a, there's a good balance to be played. But I think it's two different issues. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's just, when I'm the DM, I'm looking at everything against the players. I don't want to add myself into that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've had a couple of times where I've had to do the DM PC, and I end up just, like, having a conversation with myself in three different voices, which is fun. But now you're just doing the same thing you do in the shower by yourself all the time. Uh, yeah. Let's not talk, about, in front of let's not talk <laughs> about what I do in the shower, okay? <laughs> But, uh, but you know, like it's it's like it's it's neat, but it, it wears thin quickly, right? Yeah. I really struggle to find a balance for sidekicks, and I'm currently running three of them across two campaigns. Um, you guys have a huge party on Sundays, and I've still inserted a sidekick into it for plot reasons. Yes, it's a party full of pigeons, though. Oh, well, there is that. Uh, we, it's just a bag of pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> it's a basket and a bucket of pigeons. Okay, sorry. So <laughs> for now, for now, um, but. I find that these sidekicks are incredibly useful for the uh, one-on-one D&D that I play with Mieka because it allows me to use um, challenge rating appropriate monsters. Look, one-on-one, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea is that they're just NPCs, but during combat, you can choose what they do. Sometimes, and, and you can roll for them, but sometimes I will straight up say as the dungeon master, no, they wouldn't do that. Or they're going to cower in fear. This is too much for them. Yeah. Or they failed that save, so they're going to run away and not get to repeat the save on the next turn because they're not the heroes of this story. Yeah, it also keeps the player honest to the character as well, I find. Yeah. Yeah. Not just taking advantage of having an extra body, right? Just because you can doesn't mean that's what would or should Just you can doesn't mean you should, yeah. (laughs) No, Dave. (laughs) So let's... uh... (laughs) Stop it. I I, want to ask. So you guys have Tobolt in in your campaign right now, and he is... Megan's sidekick. He runs around as a... And you weren't expecting to get him as no, a sidekick. I was not. He just appeared one day as uh, an antagonist who then kind of um, fell to his knees and apologized and then tried to follow you around and became your a squire almost? Yeah. Um, Bitch, I'm a queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, when he... F- swapped sides and started to follow you around we gave him sidekick levels he levels when you guys do but i always play him when it comes to role playing mm-hmm. um you always play him and you get to roll for him when it comes to combat combat yeah uh so and when it comes to exploration 
He is entirely passive and will occasionally do an aid or a help, but he doesn't do the thing. There's no agency from him. And that's why I run all of my, my sidekicks. Yeah. Um, do you guys, do you think it's a good idea for Dungeon Masters to go gunning for the sidekick? To single them out? To, to break hearts on purpose? I think that there's a good balance in what your players want out of their game and their campaign. So there are some people that want to have the heartbreak or want to have that storyline backline. So like our campaigns that we play with you, Adam, are a little bit more weird because we all build random backstories that end up coming together because we all come from different worlds that end up in the same world. So all of our backstories will usually be different. We just happen this time around, we do have characters that did come through the portals and into our world together. So there are three players at the table that do have a conjoined backstory, but then there's two or three of us that are completely outside of that backstory so how do you engage that backstory you throw in another like sidekick or a character that they can engage with and talk about their backstory to bring it to the table which i think is kind of what i i mean you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think that was almost one of the reasons why that character kind of appeared was to bring that backstory into the world he was there honestly he appeared to find out whether or not you would execute someone who had surrendered Ooh. and then when you didn't have a sidekick here you go Here's yeah. a prize. Because. For not being a murder hobo. Because had the roles <laughs> been reversed in that moment, he would have executed you. So you showed enough mercy to give him something new to think about. Love that about him. But yeah, that's my take on it anyways. Yeah, I think it's really dependent on what the players want. I've got some players who are more advanced than others and maybe need an extra thing to manage at the table. I would do that to keep engagement. But if I've got someone who's drowning to learn their spellcaster or something, not a chance, right? It's just one more thing to add to their plate to think about. Exactly. Yeah. It really depends on who they are and if they're going to get anything out of it, right? If it's going to you know, be a net negative instead of a net positive, yeah. why would I, right? It would also kind of change like how you would navigate playing it, like how you're deciding whether or not the DM plays it or the player character plays it. Yeah. If you have a player at your table, like Dave, to your point, that is not necessarily as strong as just one more thing to manage, if you as the DM want more to manage, make a sidekick, you run it for them and give it as something to have like those downtime at the campfire conversations to start teaching them how to role play, right? It can be a teaching tool too. It really can be. Yeah. Um, the other thing that um, it mentions is that anybody, anything can become a sidekick. We, we're going to get into the mechanics about all this in a moment. But any creature, CR half or lower, can become a sidekick. And it specifically says that includes animals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If every single one of the players at the table, Dave, your pet lion and... Murder face. Murder face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and Casey's uh, dinosaur mount or giant lizard mount. Yep. And uh, Agnes? Agnes. Agnes, yeah. yeah. You guys are just wild. Um, We're great with names. <laughs> Charlie's little glowing light that follows him around. Oh, uh, yes. Light ball. Light and, ball. <laughs> Will-o-wisp. <laughs> that uh, represents his soul. That's slowly getting dimmer. Soul ball. Gotcha. Yeah, got you. Um, <laughs> would it cheapen it if every one of them started getting levels in sidekick? I don't no. think so. No. But would it drag the game down? It would slow it down, yeah. Absolutely. There's more to engage with, so I would imagine a natural, like, slow of pace would happen. Yeah. Do you have any ideas about what you would do to make it a little bit more smooth? To run combat or initiative? Or even exploration when you've got... Now, 20 characters standing at the bottom of the cliff looking up going well who can climb up there how do we not just bowl over the players i think that there's still some strategy to be had so like if you do come up to like your cliff scenario where there's a cliff that has to be climbed it it does take a minute to realize who has what abilities because i mean i don't always remember that my, my character can climb well let alone someone else's character kind of thing so it still drives conversation at the table but i think as a dm if you wanted to control it a little bit give the 
to give them something to do. Give the sidekick something to do. Like, for instance, we were traveling around with the caravan with a bunch of bags of pigeons in it. Be like, okay, well, I'm going to stay with the pigeons. You guys go do your thing, right? Like, give... Give them a task. Give them a task. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, okay, Megan, you know better than Dave at this point. There is no part of any D&D game that I run where you are not escorting something. Always escorting. There are always, always NPCs to be protected. Yeah. You are the heroes. You are there to save people. Therefore, people must be in danger. Yeah. Every once in a while, you get to run solo. But when it comes to a sidekick, I will often just put them on guard duty over here. Um, they're going to take third watch so that you guys don't have to worry about it. There's a better chance that you will wake up to find a blood stain where they were sitting a moment before. Yeah. Because they're just a sidekick. Yeah. But by this point, we're, what, 12, 14 episodes or sessions into um, playing with Tobolt. And he's almost become a member of the party. Mm -hmm. I feel like just fading to black and then you come back to find that he's been decapitated. If you kill him, I will end you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you end him, I end you. Yeah. There will be fight. There will be a puddle of blood under your chair. But that's kind of my point is that it's good because I had Taco Bell for dinner. That's <laughs> See, I get emotionally attached to things, okay? I don't know. <laughs> um, but there's a point where the sidekick that was fun and useful for a couple of sessions becomes an emotional investment, and now it's a real issue to gun for them. And I feel like as a DM, if I do and they die, if you ever kill Boblin the Goblin or whatever beloved characters with the party, they're going to be mad at you, the DM. Mm. I distinctly remember there being three weeks where Dan refused to speak to me, and we were working together at the time, yeah. and he did not speak to me because I murdered his um, daughter and her unborn child. Oh, wow. In game. In game. In game. In game, yes. The uh, character thing. <laughs> that was probably like the quietest three weeks of your life, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took a good snooze. Um, but I mean, there are those characters like and players that are there for the sadness simulator. I'm here for sadness simulator. Oh, I know. Like, I just murder everyone I love. I will, I will just... I will love it. But, but I have people at my table that say they're there for that and then get legitimately upset when I do it. Mm. Um, Charlie gets irrationally angry sometimes. Yeah. He's like, I'm here for the heartbreak. And then I introduce heartbreak for someone else. And then he gets very fucking angry. Yep. Um, and he's not the only one that has that has done that at my tables in the past. Everybody says they're up for it, but I find that real Megan... You and Dan are the two that are really willing to, like, get put through a meat grinder. Hey, man, I'll cry at your table, but it's tears of this is such a good fucking story. Whereas whereas <laughs> Dave won't even give me a backstory. He's like, I'm a Leonin. Uh-huh. Barbarian. Uh-huh. He's coming for murder face. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that says to me. You leave murder face out of this. <laughs> he will mur murder your face. Murder <laughs> read his name. Come on. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk for a second about, okay, we've discussed why and how to use sidekicks, um, a little bit. Let's talk about the mechanics here. Um, you get a starting level, uh, of sidekick. There are three subclasses. They're warrior, spellcaster, and expert. That's kind of, it sums up kind of the three different paths you can take as a player character as well. Mm -hmm. So they've gotten really broad and very vague with what they can do. Very simplistic. Um, what you do is you choose any creature, CR half or lower. I really recommend having having something with intelligence but you don't need to right it doesn't have to be sentient it could be a frog that you were just giving levels of warrior to yeah um and then by level 18 you have a warrior frog that is murdering commoners left and right i love that <laughs> 
you do give the first level at level one and you use whatever that creature's hit dice are moving forward. So if it is a frog, it's going to be a D4. Mm-hmm. And every time they level it, it's get another D4. But if you get something like, uh, I'm trying to think of something that's actually CR half and not CR one. I don't know the monster man off the top of my head like that. Um, if you end up getting something like a commoner, or whatnot with a d6 um or if you can find a cr half creature with a d12 hit die it's going to be beefy even as a spellcaster it's going to be beefy in later level uh one of the things that i try to do as well is to keep it at the same level as the party even if they are level 12 and they run into a commoner who is who i'm going to give as a sidekick and they're going to be able to cast spells and whatnot but they're just really pathetic when you first meet them by the time they get sidekick status they will be the same level 12 as everybody else because it really only feels like a third of a character sheet yeah yeah i was getting that feeling looking through them it's yeah. not a lot yeah when you uh when you level up it doesn't matter how much of the group's recent adventures the sidekick experienced they level up with them mm-hmm. so they don't get left in the dust um when it comes to hit points it is the exact same hit dice plus con modifier uh, that you're used to with um, your player characters there is a helpful chart much like all the classes are broken down there's an overall chart about level progression and then the sub sidekick subclasses uh they each have a chart as well um so your proficiency bonafide uh modifier is going to go up bonafide that's right your proficiency bonafide that's <laughs> that's a thing that i've said are, out loud are on you the proficient bonafide <laughs> you're goddamn right so, um, I need that on a mug. <laughs> <laughs> proficient in bone. <laughs> So, um, one of the big things about these, and Dave walked in uh, today and he's like, so there's a lot of ability score increases, aren't there? And the ASIs, there's a fuck ton of them. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, It's worth pointing out that they do not get feats. When you get an ASI as a sidekick, you don't have the option as a variant rule to take a feat. It's just an ASI. No feats for them. No feats. Um, And that's pretty much it. There's not a whole lot beyond that. Here's what Tasha has to say about sidekicks. My soon-to-be sidekick could have could learn a thing or two from all this. More material for Project Humble Canaan. Hmm. Oh, Tasha. I think she's funny. She's pretty funny. I also think that she's low-key exactly what Terry wanted out of a goth girlfriend for the first hundred episodes of this podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, and he would have 100% been doing the um, irresistible dance up in a a little go-go cage yeah absolutely in her in her lair wearing nothing but like a black leather speedo <laughs> yeah and, wanna, and, yeah. and loving it, it. And, and he's loving it too oh, like why, why wouldn't you he would think he's so seductive he'd be like so proud of himself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nobody else gets to be all the way up here <laughs> i'm so special look at me go look at my tassels <laughs> <laughs> Is that what we're calling them now? Well. <laughs> All right. So um, let's grab dice because we each took one of the subclasses and let's uh, let's run through. I grabbed this one this time. Oh, this is a nice green sparkly dice. I, I like it because it's easy to read. Well, well yours is cocked. That, that's sitting between oh, a one good. and a... Let's get rid of that card. one then. Let me re-roll that. Perfect. 15. Well, 15. you are going first, Megan. I'm going last with a 10. Yeah, I got a, I got a 13. So, so Some good neutral rolls. So, Megan, which one did you get? All right, so I got Warrior. 
Um, and it's basically as it sounds. So this is a martial class character that could be basically a soldier or a town guard you made friends with, or even a battle-trained beast, lion, or bear, or something along those lines. Because as we said, you could pick an animal or have an animal as a thing, as a warrior, if you wanted to, which is pretty badass. I like the idea of like your your pet warrior dog. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. like your war wolf. I feel like this overshadows animal companion in a lot of 100% ways. 100% it does. Except that your sidekick doesn't automatically know how to do tricks. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that... That the new animal companions get that that warrior doesn't get. Yeah. Can your warrior turn tricks, Megan? No. Okay. It, I mean, <laughs> can mine? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, we can we can talk about that. <laughs> I would love to see if Tobol could turn some tricks. <laughs> he would be an arcane trickster. Oh my god. <laughs> There are so many opportunities here. <laughs> nope, just the one. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, take us through Warrior. All right. Well, I feel um, it, to build. Yeah, so I feel that you would build one of these if you wanted to in your campaign to build, give a bit of a martial boost, or perhaps give one to a squishy team of magical characters, or even just a low-level party that needs a little bit of a boost in the fighting. And or if you're going into war, it'd be nice to have someone who has a war background or war knowledge, and you're a team that doesn't. Sometimes a sidekick like this can be helpful in those areas. So, and one of the things I immediately thought of when I thought of the warrior companion was, unfortunately, in L5R, which <laughs> you guys say I don't want to talk about that a lot, but no, I love it because. It's- it's something I know nothing about. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So there are characters in the game called Yojimbos, which are basically a fighting character that is built to protect your squishy Are they rabbits? What? Yusagi Yojimbo? Yeah. No, you don't get the rabbit. That's a Ninja Turtles thing. I didn't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did, do you not remember that, Dave? Or? Nope. Yusagi Yojimbo? Yeah, that's his, that's his fucking name. And he's like the most honorable rabbit warrior. That sounds fair. That sounds about right. I mean, like what you're saying sounds right. <laughs> that's all I'm going to think about now for the warrior subclass. Yeah. Is, you're... Is, Oh, I've had, a I am a warrior. The song started. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that how it goes, Dave? No. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. But anyways, in L5R, it's an actual class that you build. Whereas I feel like in D&D, this is kind of built, that can be built as a warrior, um, like, sidekick. In, into the game. So if you are a squishy like warlock or a squishy wizard, it would be nice to have a warrior that is there built to protect you, shall we say. A bodyguard. A bodyguard, yeah. But I do feel like in d d it can also be used to progress a story um, or create political alliances or just be someone to use as an extra fighting character. Maybe even used to train another one of your fighter characters. Maybe it's somebody where your fighter character looked up to something along those lines. I feel like there's a lot of storyline capabilities to use warriors. Um, the political intrigue part is one that I like and that's one of the things that we're almost kind of touching on in our campaign with Tobalt because he does come from my old family line which we're trying to restore our honor for so it's kind of like a there have been a couple of twists and turns on that yeah so there's a little bit of a political intrigue part not only that but now there's like a like an emotional if he dies I die kind of feeling so um, I feel like there's warriors don't just have to be meat shields they can be used for other things is what I'm like turning at. tricks Turning tricks. Trickster warrior. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. When it comes to role-playing one of these, I don't see them being the con- like the controversial like story driver. They're not going to be the one that gets you into trouble. They're not going to be the one that starts a political conversation unless, again, that's what you're trying to do. I do feel like they are more of your support um, or just there to su- give anecdotes or just generally be an assist with combat and developing war strategy again for like what your team needs. So if you're going to role-play one of these, they don't necessarily have to be intelligent, to your point. They could just be a thing that exists that assists. Right. 
Um, and I feel like the abilities that are given do make me feel like they aren't, are just there for being a meat shield, but again, you can do whatever you want with them, I feel. So let's get into those. So their bonus proficiencies are they choose a saving throw of either strength, dex, or con. Makes sense. And two skills from either acrobatics, animal handling, athletics, intimidation, nature, per- nature, perception, and those two, one of those two. Not survival, hey? Yes, and survival. Okay. Yes. Sorry, because I'm in my head, because you're like, oh, it's political intrigue. And I'm like, no, he's a barbarian. He's a meat shield. No. And so I just assumed it was survival. the It's the intimidation, the perception, the survival, and a little bit of nature, if you wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. That makes me think that they could be a forager or like a... A ranger. A ranger kind of thing, right? Because basically they do are proficient in all armor types. And if they're humanoid and not just a war bear, they do get proficiency in shields and all other simple and martial weapons. I'm going to throw this out there. I've said this in the past, but it's been a while. If you're going to have an animal companion of any kind, it needs to be a primate because you get all of the animal plus opposable thumbs. So would that count as a humanoid? Not a humanoid. Still a beast. Yeah. But I would absolutely let them wield a sword and wear rudimentary armor. Just a giant mace. Yeah. I keep keep thinking about the, is it the mandrel that's outside of the hut in Ace Ventura 2? Yeah. Oh my God. That's like (laughs) sleeping. Like that's... Did you learn nothing from Planet of the Apes? (laughs) (laughs) None of us did. (laughs) Look at the world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I learned that if we don't pay attention, they will become Abraham Lincoln. Fair. You know what? That's a fair assumption. Yeah. I'm glad that that's the lesson you learned from that. (laughs) Because apparently I'm only going to reference a Tim Burton (laughs) fucking abomination. Oh, my Atlanta. You would. I would. Yeah. All right, let's dig into some other options, what you get as you level them up. So at level one, you gain your martial role. You get to choose between either being an attacker or defense. Seems pretty simple. but Is that, it's, is that like a fighting style or is it its own separate thing? It's kind of like a fighting style, but it, it doesn't give you the same amount of awesomeness as a fighting style does. And it only really comes into hand in, into use once at level one. You choose the path, you get a thing, and that's it. So if you're an attacker, you get plus two to your attacks. If you're a defender, you get a reaction to impose disadvantages on the attack roll of a creature within five feet that isn't you as a person holy shit that's real powerful at level one it can be it can be but it never increases it just that is you get it and you choose one way or the other and that is that's it yeah but disadvantage is so powerful i'm thinking about all of the there everything is a d8 or d6 i mean there are what one two three four of the 13 classes that are above that yeah everybody's squishy mm-hmm. everybody's squishy if you've got a warrior imposing disadvantage because he's going to go shoulder to shoulder with you in combat yes suddenly the the rogue is going to live long because rogues fucking need to live longer yeah. Right, but rogues and monks and fighty warlocks and shit will last longer. That's, I like that. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, I don't feel like it's necessarily too overpowered in my mind, but like it's. Uh, as a DM though, I have to prepare for that. Yeah. More right? minions. Like, and, and, yes. And are you using flanking rules? Yeah. That's a big question as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, but again, that's the only time it really comes into play. You basically decide whether you have someone who carries a shield or someone who carries a sword. And that's basically how that goes. Because at second level, they get a second wind, which of course, as we have discussed a few times, is just a bonus action and you can regain 1d10 plus your level, um, regained on a short or long rest. At third level, you get your improved critical, which is a critical at a 19 or 20, which I think is pretty good. That's a mechanic that I was really missing from 3.5. Then play a champion fighter. Sure, but... Or just play a sidekick. Well, yes, but you still still get the keen weapons and stuff like that. Like, you could really open up your crit range. Yeah. I remember seeing a 
uh, character that would crit on a 14 or above. Yeah, it was like you get some ridiculous. In fifth edition? Goals. No, no, 3.5. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's all 3.5. I was like, my stacked. God. Oh, it's ridiculous. Get out. Well, it didn't have bounded accuracy. So, I mean, the AC on creatures was like 43 yeah. as well. So, I mean, you needed to, to have a thing. Those. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Well, at fourth level, you get you start getting your ability score improvements. You get them at fourth, eighth, twelfth, fourteenth, sixteenth, and nineteenth level. So more often than a player character. Yes. Yeah. But as we mentioned, you do not get to choose to have feats. No feats. No feats. We are kink shaming on this episode. Absolutely no feats. No feats. Yeah. They've been defeated already. Defeated. Quentin Tarantino, get out. <laughs> You're unwanted. Um, all right, at sixth level, you get your extra attack. This does actually increase to three attacks at level thirteen. Okay. Pretty cool. At seventh level, you get your battle readiness, which is basically advantage on initiative rolls, which I think is pretty freaking useful if you are playing a protector of a squishy character and you get to have your initiative roll first. Yes, yep. absolutely. Yeah. Um, at tenth level, you get improved defense, so your armor class increases by one. Uh, at eleventh level, you get indomitable, which is a re-roll on a saving throw that they fail, but well, you must use the new roll. Will you remember that you have it? No. 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 I will write it on my sheet. On yeah, my right forehead. at the top in big I'll get letters. it tattooed on my chest, and it's, I still won't remember. Well, that wouldn't help any because you don't like maybe you don't i mean (laughs) i don't think you understand how many people look at my chest (laughs) megan indomitable i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) you're screaming indomitable right now (laughs) oh my god i hate it so much i'm uncomfortable (laughs) i'm uncomfortable and i don't know what i'm doing here um Oh yeah, after level 11, pretty much all you really get is your ability score improvements and then your extra attack, your indomitable, and your second win increase um, over time. So The other thing to point out is that the proficiency bonuses on these guys looks like they increase at about the same speed. Yeah. As the uh, player characters. So you do end up with a plus six to your proficiency bonus. So. Yeah, so getting that advantage on your... Um, your bonifier. Your, your bonifier. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Um, is very beneficial for anyone involved. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I am still uncomfortable. Megan, you're indomitable. <laughs> I'm getting indomitable to put on my chest now. We're going to get a t-shirt made for you. <laughs> and Dan's going to think it's about him. <laughs> and what's it going to say and where? Yeah. <laughs> love this for me (laughs) (laughs) anyways yeah that's it that's them okay so i got a couple of questions Mm -hmm. do you have a quest off the top of your head that really stands out for these guys for a warrior for a warrior yeah um i feel like these would be the like the kind of i see them as a quest giver giving them a warrior to help them cross a path somewhere or get cross the desert or to guide be a guide almost like we've used sidekicks before or npcs as guides yeah i could see that being an excellent side quest for a warrior is to help a party and be the escorted instead of the escortee well okay here's a question do you like the idea of a sidekick that comes and goes only going to be here for three levels to get across the desert and then bids adieu Love a good part-time quest, questy slash sidekick. I, I like them when they kind of tag in and out. Yeah. 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 I bet you do. Yeah, I do. Um, Indomitable. <laughs> <laughs> so they tag in and out with a wet thud. <laughs> <laughs> better than... Yeah, never mind. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, say it. Better than, better than a dry womp. <laughs> Nobody loves a dry womp. No. <laughs> well, if you dry womp long enough, it becomes a wet thud, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's an 
undetermined amount of time. <laughs> Only if you got a bona fire. <laughs> Speaking of bona fires, okay, so you have attack and you have defense, right? Those are the two things you can... That's kind of how you start, in my mind, the role-playing aspect of that character. And I think that that's going to be a good indication of what their tactics are in combat. Yeah. Mechanically speaking, and this is not entirely accurate, but for the purpose of podcast, because we're not going to bust out calculators and spreadsheets for this, you can assume that disadvantage is a negative four on an attack, or on a d20 roll, and advantage is a plus four. Mm -hmm. That's not quite accurate, but over the span of a campaign, it should roughly work out to that. Attacker gets a plus two to hit, defender gets a minus four that they would impose Mm -hmm. on those kind of attacks. They would have to be, I mean, does attacker get it on all attacks, ranged attacks as well? Because defender only gets it on melee that's adjacent it just says attacks. Okay, so yeah, so it would work on any sort of yeah bows or crossbows or anything. Yeah, so absolutely. I, you know, I I do this with uh, with Tobolt all the time. Is I give him ranged weapons and let him shoot from a distance. Yep. Keeps him out of danger, so he'll live longer. Um, also, he can't roll to hit worth shit. Yep. So that's Megan's bad. <laughs> Megan's dice hater. Hey, we figured that out for the most part. We did. Yeah. Yeah. Just trade dice, guys. That's a, that's a secret. Yep. Yeah, it works. Um. So, do you have any any insights about the difference between attacker and defender when it comes to combat? I personally enjoy the idea of the defender more. Mm-hmm. Um, only because I think that it's a more in-depth character to role play with because they're going to have a reason to stay close to you. They're going to have a reason to like, like a job or a purpose. Whereas I find like being an attacker is just like, that's cool. You can attack mechanically. It's nice to have that extra bonus attack, especially if you don't have a lot of pro- close ranged fighters. But I like the idea of a protector. That's just a me thing. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like there's more room to have fun role playing with a defender. Yeah. Because your attackers are going to go in and attack where defending can be more. And, and, and I'm going to say this too. A sidekick can carry health potions. Yeah. And items I, and things. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a great use for them because if they end up dashing in or burning an action to help feed someone else a, a potion or whatnot, that doesn't hurt as bad as the level eight fighter wasting a whole turn doing that. Or, yeah. you know, a monk giving up all those bonus actions and shit right so yeah and it doesn't it doesn't this is i also have to say this it doesn't have to be you as their like assigned sidekick owner that it protects no like no. it can go off and protect it like I, i've said many times to my sidekick i need you to go and make sure that person is okay yeah and then they fuck off and they do what i tell them to do right so i feel like that is important to state i do feel like mechanically it's not built to level up as a defender because you're getting a second attacks you're getting second wins you're getting all these things that in my mind are building a fighter not necessarily a extra like bash attack or a push attack or like benefits to grapple there's no reason why they can't grapple or shove as well right yeah but you're not going to get any increased bonuses for that you're going to have to build your character you're going to use your ability increase scores to build yourself a really good defender whereas i think the stats are built to make a really good fighter and then you can just add your ability scores to make an even better fighter That's does fair. that make sense yep yep yeah okay uh, normally we ask about exploration or role playing um but i'd like to ask instead which are the two skills that you would pick for a warrior what's the list again megan uh the list for warrior for skills is going to be uh do um animal handling acrobatics athletics intimidation nature perception and survival which ones do you choose 
for a sidekick for a warrior. Any insights, guy? I kind of like the idea of having an animal as your sidekick and giving it animal handling. <laughs> I can talk to other animals. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I enjoy. Pers- I would do intimidation. Um, and probably survival. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm big on the animal handling and survival because I know that my players won't take them. Yep. Right, and so these are more skills I can add to the pool. Because mm-hmm. um, the player characters aren't going to come to the table that shit. Almost every player character I've ever met has got something into intimidation and perception and perception although perception is going to allow them to be that what everybody go look out into the horizon and what do you see and everyone rolls like shit but the sidekick sees it and now we get to know what legolas's elf eyes see and and that saves us from whatever random encounter also tobalt is an elf so yeah yeah what's your elf eyes <laughs> yeah um the animal with animal handling makes sense to me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, animals instinctively read body language. That makes perfect fucking sense to me. Would you have them roll animal handling when they're trying to communicate with a, one, another human at the table? Because humans count as, or like, humanoids count as animals. <laughs> no, 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 that, that's, that's still intimidation. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Who rolled next highest? That was oh, you. That was me. All right. So spellcaster. Uh, spellcaster is a sidekick that uh, casts spells. I don't want. Oh. Yeah. I don't want to shock what? you guys. So he's gonna rip that bandit off quickly. Um, however, it lists the different kinds of spellcasters they can be. They can be a mage, which would make them a wizard that uses their intelligence modifier um, to cast spells, or a healer, which allows them to be a cleric or a druid, and they would use wisdom, or a prodigy, which would allow them to be a bard or a warlock, so they'd use charisma. You cannot be a sorcerer. Hard stop. Yeah. There is no sorcerer archetype, which seems bizarre to me because I love the idea of the sidekick that just all of a sudden one day manifests powers. Oh my God. Look at what I have. All yeah. these magical capabilities. And and now I need to tag along with the party. There's other ways you could work that into their story though. There there are other ways, but like, it's just weird that that wasn't one of them. And also the artificer didn't get a shout out for the intelligence. I feel it. I, I think was, it's- I was I almost, doing my artificer dirty. I almost feel like if you're comparing the warrior to the, um, this ma- spell, magical spell caster that's casting spells. Yes. That they're actually making call outs to the archetypes. Whereas like the warrior did not. It just said you can either defend or you can attack. I'm surprised it didn't say you can be a healer or like a, what, I'm surprised they actually did a call out. I feel like the artificer <laughs> has too much going on to make them a sidekick. I think that's true. Like if you yeah. were to try to flesh that out, they would just be getting too much much time in the spotlight i think that's true um when it comes to a spellcaster you have a handful of skills that you could be proficient in they are arcana obviously uh, history insight investigation medicine performance persuasion and religion and that really runs the fucking gamut yeah um on all of that and i feel like that's just because you can be intelligence wisdom or charisma based yeah um you do get the uh spellcasting trait when you become a spellcaster i know sit down this is getting wacky crazy yeah um but you also get a certain amount of spell slots and spells known the spells known that you are given at first level um you like you can choose from whatever the spell list is for if you are a mage you can choose from the wizard's spell list and that's why they break it out like that but it has recommendations so if Think about this for a sidekick, for a mage. Mage Hand, Ray of Frost, and Thunderlord. Okay. Wow. That's first level. I'm going to write that down for a future character. That seems like a good spread. Yeah. For healer, you get Cure Wounds, Guidance, and Sacred Flame. Okay. Interesting. Doesn't really fit the druid, but okay. That's clearly a cleric. Yes. There's no shillelagh in there, right? Like, no. Well, I mean, you could role play the guidance side to be a little you could. fluffy if you wanted to. Um, Prodigy is Eldritch Blast, Healing Word, 
and light. Oh, so they get the healing word. Yeah, because bards. Yeah. Right? The bard archetype. I guess so. Honestly, I was sitting here thinking that's that's a little light, but I think that's perfect for a sidekick. Yeah, and at first level. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a big ass chart with uh, your spell progression. You only ever get up to fifth level spells, and it progresses very similarly to the um, the ranger and the paladin as far as how many spells you know and how often you get to, to learn new ones. Okay. Um, to be fair, if you can cast sixth level spells or higher, you, you are the main character. Yeah. Yeah. That's main fair. character energy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you do get to know a number of cantrips as well. Um, you start off with two at most. By uh, at most, you will get four. You will know four of them by level ten. You never get more cantrips beyond that. Yeah. Okay. So you get your bonus proficiencies and your spell casting at level one because otherwise you wouldn't be a spell caster. Sure. Um, and then it's just spells and shit for second and third level. Fourth level is the ability score improvement. And again, at eight, 12, 16, and 18. Mm-hmm. You get potent cantrips at level six. And potent cantrips uh, allows you to add your spell casting ability modifier to damage with a cantrip. Okay. Okay. Which is okay. Like, that's... Sure. Um, you, at 14th level, get empowered spells. So you choose one school of magic, and whenever the sidekick casts a spell of that school, um, when it expends a spell slot, so scrolls and wands and shit don't count. Or cantrips. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, they can add their spell casting ability modifier to the spell damage roll, or healing roll, if any. So just more of the same, but for bigger, better spells. You'll notice you're not getting anything for your utility spells, right? Silence isn't getting a boost to this, right? Right. Now, at 20th level, you get focused casting. Casting, uh, Taking damage can't break the sidekick's concentration on a spell. That's handy. That's pretty fucking handy. But you have to be level 20, 20 to get there. Yeah, how often do you do that? Yeah, but think about when it cuts down to your big bad evil guy and they drop magical darkness for example because they will have access to that right yeah. that's a low enough spell um no matter what happens they're as long as they're conscious they'll still be able to keep that darkness up Love it. so that could swing the tide in a big boss battle mm. so how do you guys feel about these do you like them i mean th- and that's it that's all you get for spellcaster it's it's all based on the spells you're choosing just as if you were a weaker mage I don't hate it. I like it as well. I like it. Okay, I sat down and ended up making a, I think I've talked about him before, a character in our, our Dungeon Mad Mage, Yek, uh, who's a goblin cleric. And I essentially went through and I made a cleric and then absolutely neutered it and gave it like half of what it should have in very particular Did you spells. castrate a goblin? Essentially. Yeah. Uh, and he's just kind of their healer in the background. He doesn't do much, but he can shoot a bow and he can heal when they need it, right? That took me so long to flesh that out but this was before i was even aware of sidekick rules it might have been before tashes came out even but uh it 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 really would have streamlined that side of it right because i know there's everybody out there is trying to make you know this guy to fill in the gap here fill in the gap there do these things that's the other thing to keep in mind the number of times that i looked at a party where we're at a session zero and everyone's going around going rogue yes okay battle master over here and 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 you're going to be this eldritch whatever do we have a healer who's going to be the healer we don't need that conversation anymore. Yeah, because we have these mechanics now that you can throw in there that are helpful. Yeah, and the fact that you get to pick the spells too, like it's not just a preset list. No, it has the recommendations, and they're fine, although a little wonky. Healing Word and Eldritch Blast on the same list felt strange to that, me. Yeah, that, that was a little bit of an ick for me, but yeah. like I feel like as they're leveling, you can almost like guide it in one direction or the other. Well, as a DM, I mean, the way they gain access to them, yeah, you can you can mix that up pretty easily. Yeah. Maybe they don't get everything. Maybe they are only able to learn from particular schools. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I would really do it that way. So that was my big quest thing, because there are kind of three different options for 
for this. Um, my big idea for the quest was that these are people that you might hire. These might be hirelings. You know you're going on a adventure or on a quest or whatnot. You need someone that can cast blank. So you would go to the temple or you would go to the mage school or you would go to the local bardic college and you would say, okay, we need you. We were going to hire you So for gold per day. And there are rules in, I want to say the player's handbook, but it might be the DMG, mm. for how to hire people how much it costs. So for hirelings. I feel like this psychic could very easily not be one that, you know, you happened upon or comes from a backstory, but someone that you seek out and say, we want to hire you for this specific set of skills. Yeah. Because we are a monk, a barbarian, and a fighter going to fight a lich. Help. I feel like that we're being personally attacked right now. You are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. We have a cleric who actually heals this time around. That's true. That's true. Dan is very thankful. Yeah. Well, sure. He gets healed last, though, every time, which makes me laugh. Good. Um, for combat for these guys, I, it's hard to come up with something specific, except I normally your spellcaster sits in the back row because they're squishy as all fuck. Yeah. You can have D10 or D12 hit dice on these guys. Because of their monster base, right? Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Which means they can be right up there and doing those those melee spells are the ones where they're right in combat with people. Yeah. Is this how you get a dog casting fireball? I was going to say a cat. I think it's more on brand for a cat. Yeah. Sure. But yes, that's... Hmm. I like the idea of a, ha- of a dog casting... Morgan Cannon's Magnificent Hound. <laughs> Where'd my sidekick go? Oh, he's humping in the corner. Again. Oh, God. So, oh, no. Um, Kevin, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of low-level summon spells as well. So think about that. You could have an animal summoning other animals. Yeah. An animal druid summoning humanoids. <laughs> and everyone's going to sit there and be like, is he in wild shape? And you'd be like, we think so. Well, he never comes out of it. We don't ask. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a way to make this just cyclical so that just casting more and more yeah, and more absolutely. and more. Yeah. Um, so the skills that I read out, they, they do seem to be specifically geared towards the three different kinds. They are Arcana and History. Those are clearly like Mage, Wizard, right? Um, you have Insight and Medicine and Religion. Those are your Healer. And then for your Bard and Warlock, you get Investigation, Performance, and Persuasion. So depending on which one, the Mage, the Healer, or the Prodigy, it's going to tell you which which to get. But you can mix and match, right? Yeah, Yep. I think so. Would you guys, as DMs, stick hard and fast to this to the list of skills? I never stick hard and fast. That's a damn lie. I've seen you try to get up off a leather couch. <laughs> <laughs> On a hot day, yeah. yeah. You, uh, David. <laughs> so... <laughs> Depending on the on the backstory of the sidekick that you're adding, though, I'm totally gonna fuck with these these lists, these skill lists. Yeah. Oh, clearly. I yeah. think that's fair to say. Look, this is all inspiration. Right, it's yeah. not. It's not. It's more hard of a facts. guideline, really. Yeah, I'm really using sidekicks as rules as intended, not as written. The rules are meant to be broken. Okay. Well, speaking of, you are the expert, Dave. Take take us through the expert. Uh, okay, so the expert is just that. He's an expert, the master of trade, like his trade. Uh, he good. He he good. He good. <laughs> He good at speak. He good at stuff. They're they're going to be your your journeymen. Uh, When I say a master of their trade, these guys could very much be tradesmen. Uh, These could be your smiths, armorsmiths, toolsmiths. Is this where your artificer lies? Uh, no, not, no, not there's, there's no. no, there's no real magic to these guys. Okay. Uh, but again, it could just be about any profession you could imagine. Uh, this could be a professional criminal. Uh, this could be a healer as well. 
Maybe they're doing medicine checks, uh, that kind of thing, right? The uh, the prerequisite for the expert, though, is that they have to be able to speak a language, okay? In order so, to be an expert, you have to have the intelligence to... You have to be able to speak a language, so you're not going to get an expert dog. Okay. Okay? You're not going to get... I think that's a good rule to have. Well, does that include Kenku's, then? Well, I put a note to be inclusive um, with this kind of thing. Just because they said they have to be able to speak, I feel like you can wiggle room that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, some... For instance, I I saw it as a monk that took a vow of silence. They're still going to be able to communicate intelligently. Be inclusive. I I would let a gorilla. They have sign language. I was going to say, sign language is an option, I think. I think you would have to really customize it, though. Sure. You know know what I mean? But I love the idea of of the gorilla that pushes everyone out of the way and pulls out thieves tools. Oh my god, could you imagine? I would love that. Uh, I mean, their role to me is to fill in the party gap, right? When when you've got a particular quest that these guys are going, that your party is going on, uh, maybe they don't necessarily have the, the knowledge amongst them. You go and you hire the expert, okay? Sure. It just, it just makes sense. This is what they are supposed to be there for. Uh, to me, an expert is going to be a bit of a know-it-all. They're probably going to you know, have a little, turn their nose at things and, oh, you don't know this? Oh, and be a little pompous and be kind of annoying. That's that's what I think of when I think of like these experts didn't know it all. It's funny. The expert in my head, the first time I read this was a demolitions guy from Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not be specific, but I'm yeah, with like you. That, okay. That's where my brain went first. Yeah. Long and short of it though, the, the expert is going to be, in my opinion, a knowledgeable guide. Okay. They're going to be able to help you uh, fill in this gap that you guys don't have. Whereas the other sidekicks do that, I think the experts really focus on those mechanics. Even if you're a party of all fighters, there's probably going to be some spell casting in there. Even if you're a party of all spell casters, maybe you have a warrior being, uh, or maybe you have a warlock being a warrior. But if you don't have uh, a skill monkey, like if you don't have a rogue, you're 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 missing out on quite a bit. Can you imagine okay. having a table without a rogue? Uh, what Charlie's not playing this week? What Is a that, weird, yeah, what a weird right. thought. <laughs> It's, it's hard to, to not have those basic skills sometimes, right? When you're all fumbling around to pick the lock that you should have gotten 10 minutes ago. Like, my God, where's the rogue when you need it, right? But uh, that's, what, that's what these guys are. These guys are your rogue. At first level, they get their expert bonus proficiencies, which means they get proficiency in either dex intelligence uh, or, or constitution saving throws. Uh, they also gain proficiency in five skills. Oh. That, that's just, you get any to choose. Five. Any, any five. five? Okay. You gain proficiency in those. Expert, okay? shall we say. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, they also get proficiency in light armor, simple weapons, and two tools of your choice. I could choose any two tools? Yes. Which two would you choose? Well, one's going to make a wet thud. Yeah? And the other's going to make a dry whomp. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that. How bonafide of you. <laughs> <laughs> the bonafide. That's what he's going to be. That does not get less gross. <laughs> <laughs> That's his name, though. Yeah, we need an expert. We seek the bonafide. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen for the wet thud. You'll find him in the West. <laughs> he is indomitable. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> I hate it and I love it. Uh, also at first level these guys get uh, helpful which allows them to use the help action as a bonus action nice Nice. alright that's helpful I get it literally helpful Uh, are you guys familiar with the help action? Oh, I yeah. was not. I had to look it up. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I, I, I don't ask well, for help. I'm well, bad at it. I want you to break it down for the people at home, and I do mean break it down. Uh, essentially, you're lending you aid. Wrap to... this. <laughs> essentially, you're lending aid. <laughs> please, please stop no! wrapping. <laughs> to another creature whose role wasn't made. 
He's the voice of a generation. <laughs> they get advantage on their next ability. Yeah. All right, come on, Dave. Bring us home. These experts are going to be good at agility. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You, you get an inspiration, die. <laughs> if the task is done oh, shit, before going. your next turn... That's it. That's, that's, just, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah, you're leaving me hanging. All right, here. all right. That's fine. Oh, yeah. yeah, high and dry. I hate it. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, anyways, anyways, the helpful action. Uh, you are lending aid to another creature. They gain advantage on their next ability check uh, to complete that particular task, but it has to be done before your before the end of your next turn. Okay? Yeah. So there's a time limit on it. Uh <laughs> All right, Maggie, I've caught up. I've caught up. Here we go. Uh, they can also aid a friendly creature in attacking. Uh, the creature has to be within five feet of you, and you do some sort of distraction uh, to impose uh, advantage, essentially. Okay? Sure. Uh, so you you get that as a bonus action. Uh, so if you're within five feet, you can make the distraction and, and so on. It, it's beneficial. At second level, you get cunning action, which as a bonus action, you get to hide, dash, and, or disengage. Again, this is rogue written all over it. It's interesting. Skills and, and actions as bonuses. It's yeah. interesting, though, because with the aid action and the advantage and or the help action and all the stuff that you're doing there, it's beneficial to put this expert beside a rogue, right, who's going to be doing a lot of the skill stuff and is going to want advantage on a lot of shit. Whereas it, it's got better synergy than a spellcaster beside a wizard or a warrior beside a barbarian. Yeah. It, it can. They really shine at later levels. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, at third level, they get expertise, which is just you get two skills that you're proficient in and you double their proficiency. Fourth level, you get your ASI. Fifth level, you don't get anything. Sixth, you get coordinated strike. When you're using your helpful action to aid an ally in an attack, the opponent can be up to 30 feet away from the sidekick. Okay, so you can distract from even further away. Uh, this also deals an extra 2d6 damage the next time the sidekick hits with an attack before the end of that round. Hmm. Okay, so it makes up for your sneak attack, uh, but I really like the idea that you can you can be helpful from 30 feet away. You don't need to get close to, to have an effect on what's going on. You can be over here working on a thing and still have that, that bonus to what's going on in combat. Yeah. Yeah. At 7th level, you get evasion, so instead of taking half damage on a successful dex check, you would take no damage at all. 8th huh. uh, level is ASI, ninth level is nothing, 10th level you get the ability score increase. At 11th level, you get inspiring help. When you're taking the help action, uh, the ally who was helped gains 1d6 to the d20 roll. Hmm. Okay, If it's an attack, the 1d6 can either be used on the attack roll or the damage roll, you can choose. Well, that's smart. Okay. Well, that is really helpful. Yeah, especially if you're like imposing advantage and then yeah. adding a D6 to it as well. Yeah. That's that's powerful. You make it happen. Uh, 12th level, you get the ASI. 13th level is nothing. 14th level, you get reliable talent, which essentially, uh, if you roll 9 or less, you just assume it's a 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're, you cannot be less than that. That is the bane of my fucking existence with rogues, so I fucking hate that, but okay. At 15th level, you get expertise again, yeah. so you get two more skills that you can double the proficiency modifier of. And, and up around there, you've got plus 5 or plus 6, so that's going to be a plus 10 or plus 12. Oh, yeah, it gets out of hand quickly. 
because then again at 16th level you get another ASI. 17th level does nothing. 18th level you get Sharp Mind, which just uh, you gain proficiency for either intelligence, wisdom, or charisma uh, saves. Yeah. Okay. 19th level you get ASI, and at 20th level uh, that 1d6 that you got uh, to to aid with the inspiring help is now 2d6. So you are imposing advantage and a 2d6 bonus. Oof. Right? That's like, crazy. That, that gets out of hand fast, right? Do you have any insights about what kind of a quest that you would bring to the table with one of these guys? I, you know, when I was looking at these guys, I thought that instead of just sticking to the rogue archetype of these, I thought that maybe these guys would be uh, more your guy in the chair, right? Uh, they're going to be, I was thinking about Indiana Jones going into the, uh, the, the uh, Valley of the Crescent Moon and he's got all of the things. These experts are going to be the guys that are... are interpreting the book and doing the the translations for you and making sure you get things right get they get the information when your pcs are not going to be able to read this particular text or they get the book and they have no idea what to do with it these are where your your experts are they they're, they're not, your archaeologists they're your they very yeah. much they're your librarians they're <clears throat> they're your information seeker like they're you seek them out to gain the information, right? Yeah. It's interesting because I'm going through my list that I gave earlier of all the famous sidekicks from uh, pop culture. Most of them are an expert of some sort. Like, they're very, very good at one or two things. And it's not necessarily fighting, right? And I mean, as much as you can make a, an argument that Ford Prefect or Doc Brown or... Marcus from Indiana Jones. Um, well, no, no, no. I was thinking those two <laughs> specifically or... Genie from Aladdin, they're spellcasters. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right? Like, if I'm going to make Doc Brown, uh, I'll probably do a spellcaster. This is with Penny, and Bain, Penny and Brain from Inspector Gadget. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. The, most of them are. Even, like, Robin's a combatant, but he's, look at me over here in the bright colors. Like, he's very much an expert. A distracting yeah. character. And I think a lot of them, a lot of your typical sidekick is already an, an expert archetype from uh, from Tash's. Yeah, the, the, the idea of having a sidekick is they're focusing on one thing. Yeah. Uh, they called it an expert, but I mean, the warrior is just a combat expert. The spellcaster is just a spell expert, right? Yeah. So do you have any insights about combat with these guys? I think that they have the potential to have a really hard strike in the first round uh, with the distraction and the essentially a sneak attack. Yeah. Doing extra damage uh, and allowing the other, the PC, to hit a little harder as well, or at least more consistently. Like, they, they really are a benefit to have at a distance. At specifically less than thirty feet, sure, right? Like they, they really shine in that in that manner. That range, yeah. yeah. And they, they can they can. I like the idea of them being able to like hit and run as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that these guys are are the more mobile side of it. Your warriors are going to get up close. Your spellcasters are going to sit back. Oh, they don't have to now because you have mm -hmm. massive hit dice. Oh, they absolutely don't have to. But yeah. your your experts going to be everything in the middle. They're going to essentially fill the gaps. Like that's really Hot. what it comes down to mm. with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I'm assuming that when it comes to the skills, specifically, you're just looking at what the party needs or what the role is. More so than any of the other two, of the three. Like, this is the one that I would add a, a mechanic to, and this was... This is what I did for Tobol, as well as for the two that Mieka run. Yeah. Um, not only do I pick a race, or as we call it now, a lineage, um, for them to, to have, I also pick a background. Yep. Because that really ties them into something else. Mm -hmm. Is there a background, like, that 
inspires you for your um your subclass your sidekick uh yeah i think there's a lot of different ways you can go with it i mean the expert's so versatile it is like urchin stands out to me um hermit outlander like acolyte a, even like well know, acolyte really fits with the healer in a lot of ways yeah but you're going to be an expert at, at that particular like you can be an expert like, anything yeah look you're absolutely right you don't have to have magic in order to heal no. because you have the medicine skill right you don't have to have magic in order to worship a god because that's the the religion skill right i, I like the idea of having these guys maybe your campaign doesn't have magic yet and these guys kind of fill in that non-magical gap that's missing mm-hmm. right they like just a just an idea um is there a um sidekick archetype that's missing in your opinion we got these three it's usually these three when we talk about sidekicks in D, like through the different editions is there one that's missing because we're missing we're clearly missing some characters stuff here for example there's no great archetype for monks or smiting for a paladin or artificers right uh sorcerer is clearly left off the the list rangers don't really have a great like there's, there's no sidekick with an animal companion or the ability to wild shape yeah right but i feel like they would almost do that not to outshadow again to our point some of the other like classes that do get pets and psych and like like actual psychics built into their character right mm-hmm but I don't know. It just really does feel like the warrior is a fighter and the expert is a rogue. Yeah, it does. But I mean, when you break down every game with the class set, you get thief, warrior, spellcaster. Yeah. And, th- and that's what we got here. Like they, they check the boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, there's almost one for each one of the pillars, right? Like everything always breaks down into threes, right? We got combat and uh, an exploration. And then, well, I mean, I guess spellcaster is, is versatile too. I guess spellcaster is more versatile than I'm giving it credit for because it depends on the spells you choose. Yeah, it depends on the, the path you choose and then the spells that you choose for that path. It makes it very customizable. Okay, so um, just to wrap up this episode, um, I wanted to ask you guys, mechanically, do you like sidekicks? Do they do everything you want them to? Or is there something missing? I think they do enough. I think there's enough other stuff with animal companions uh that it, like it's it's already covered familiars like that side's already covered this opens it up honestly if i was going to use sidekicks i probably would always make them an intelligent creature i wouldn't use animals no probably not yeah i, I feel like that's better used in a different way honestly if i would if i had a player's handbook beast master because it's so fucking weak their animal sure. companion there sucks i would just make it sure you can make an argument sure. for a druid too like it makes sense I yeah can see it but yeah as a generalization uh, i would probably just stick to the to the basic on this one and, and use it as a gimmick not a, a long-term thing that i have to manage because if you do it for one player you got to do it for them all yeah and it oh, just gets okay. i don't i don't believe that for a second no, no I, I, you don't believe yeah, that for the, a second. the party gets one <laughs> no i and great i think my guys would be a little butthurt if i was giving special attention to someone but fair enough but i also feel like this takes the power not necessarily the power out of the dm's hand but one less thing that they have to constantly be focused on because there's been so many times in DD campaigns where we've had npcs that aren't necessarily labeled as sidekicks but there's npcs that we have around and then we try to figure out oh well what can we do with them how do we use them how do we utilize them who can speak this language does anybody else see in the dark what's the yeah. whereas when you're handing a, a sidekick character sheet over they have all the information as a player that you need to be able to utilize that character and you're not 
not wasting time at the table to figure out what characters can and cannot do. And I just think that it's almost like a weight lifted. So that's my thoughts. Anyway, I mean, they do it now. Okay, so. I, I want to ask you guys, because Megan, you run Tobol mechanically, and yeah. Dave, you sit there and watch it being run. So like, we have the person actively doing it and the person watching. I, I want to know, is it better to roll a sidekick after someone's turn on the same initiative? Do you like it better when Tobolt goes on Megan's initiative? Or when he has his own initiative? On on the same turn as the player. That just makes more sense for you guys? Yeah. It, it's, it allows that player to map their turn out and they get their one turn in the spotlight this round. Let's not give it, let's not give them the talking Don't stick let twice. me shine twice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because then that also, like, it's, I feel like if you were to split it up, then to your point, I would be able to interact with my um, my sidekick twice in one round. Well, it's, it's not just that. It's like you and your sidekick share a special bond that your players may not share with each other, right? Yeah. So when there is combat, they're going to be more in tune with each other than, than the people around them. So having them act at the same time, I think, lends itself to that, right? Like, it, it yeah. makes sense. And 90% of the time, I'm telling him what to do. So it's kind of like, it'd be nice to be like, oh, go do this thing, and then all of a sudden he goes to do it like you know it just makes sense all right so uh before we wrap this up let's uh let's cut to our last ad break if you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community you can reach us on facebook and instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes and comments. Engagement like that help us pop up on search engines and keep the show running. All right, so one thing that I, I didn't really mention before that I thought was absolutely worth mentioning here is that this is a really good opportunity to get your players that may be a little that are maybe a little bit quieter in the role play department mm -hmm. give them their ability to shine a little bit the everybody like players are an expert at something people are are they they have their things that they like they have their interests they're an expert in something okay yeah. if you can take that what the player does and apply that to a sidekick maybe that player will allow themselves to bleed through it a little bit and give them a little more comfort so because they know what they're talking about when they're when they're being an expert right like it it really can open up this whole other side of a character yeah. of a player not a character uh, and i just i thought that that was kind of a really interesting use of of the sidekick as well uh, did you guys have any other interesting uses of a sidekick you have thought of? Oh, I can think of many uses of a sidekick, but... Oh, maybe. Um, <sighs> Gross. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But honestly, just to tack on to what you were saying there about um, helping a player kind of come out of their shell. You guys know that I had my own tactics for either of you, for both of you. and Because both of you came to an established table. I did, yeah. Right, when we were playing. And I had a very specific tactic that I used for each of you. And did you, did you, you ever figure it out? You made me the leader of my, the fucking... Yeah, yeah. yeah I made yeah. you the leader, yeah. right? So I made you have to talk. <laughs> Yeah. Did you, do you know what they did for you? You made me punch jellies. And yeah, that's exactly, yeah. honestly, that's yeah. exactly what it was. I gave impossible combat so that while everyone else was role-playing and panicking, the super pragmatic, logistical Dave would sit there and say, my guy fights. Oh, my guy fights. How can we fight our way out of this? And yeah. like, and suddenly the combats became chessboards for you to engage because that way when Dan would be like, over here, over here, you'd be like, no, over here. Right? And it got you and Dan interacting more, which is always a bad idea. <laughs> but it became louder at the table and you started to interact because you didn't know Megan or Casey. Well, you knew Megan kind of through the podcast. What's yeah. up? But uh, you didn't really know Casey that well. Um, 
So uh, I like the idea of using sidekicks to do that, but I would still say I believe the DM should be in charge of the characterization of the sidekick, whereas the player should be in charge of the agency and mechanics of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it takes a lot from the, not a lot, but it takes more from the DM to get it set up and working right. Yeah, I like the idea of saying, okay, and your sidekick will cower in the corner for this. So the DM is the one that's going to either put the sidekick on the map or off the map. You would know that your sidekick is going to be uh, panicked because he comes from a background where he was raised in an orphanage. There are orphans in danger, right? Like he's going to head in that direction, which means that even though it's happening on your turn and you get to roll, this is his priority. These are his motivations. Here's his objective in this scenario, mm. right? Um, and what that's going to do as well is it's going to not reinforce the idea that this is another full player character at the table. Because when it comes time to role play or you go shopping or whatnot, are you guys splitting your loot equally among all the players and sidekicks? Not no, it's a trickle down economy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <It's> like- <laughs> Emphasis on the trickle. This like, is a pyramid scheme. Yeah. <laughs> I used to sign up and pay the, the intro price. Um. And I think that for new players or inexperienced players or players that just have not interacted with sidekicks before, they're tempted to treat them as equal members of the party when they're very much not. These are storytelling tools, right? Um, engaging, interesting, and versatile, but they're still there to support your players. Yeah. But like to your point and say that they're like um, storytelling tools. Um, I find that I I enjoy the kind of balance that we have going right now. And I've had this with a couple of other sidekicks I've played with in other games where the role-playing aspects, so you're not taking too much time at the table having a role-playing moment with that character. You can almost say to your DM, hey, we're going to have this conversation. I'll message it to you later or we can do a midweek content thing. We keep saying we're going to do midweek yeah, content. Yeah, total sidebar. It's been six fucking I weeks. We never do. No. But, <laughs> but I think that that's a great opportunity to be like, yes, we're going to to talk about this but it is very specific to my character so i'm okay with having that conversation outside of game and give the team the coles notes of what they require to know and then that can be how you kind of navigate not taking up too much role playing time at the table because i know that you enforced me to be the leader of the last campaign that we played and now i tend to be pigeonholed into being the leader of things because dan just looks at me like i, I owe well him. it's because dan <laughs> needs someone to tell him what to do he is legitimately scared of you and I, that is what it is i always play strong independent female characters i guess that's the problem Why? I don't know, man. <laughs> Am I projecting? I don't know. But uh, but again, that's a good way of kind of like navigating taking up too much role play time if your character wants to talk to their sidekick too often. Like that's a, a tip or a hint I would give. But, all right, so that's it for our discussion on sidekicks. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be heading up into the Plogiston. 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 <laughs> <laughs> to bob gently along the flow rivers and see some of the local playable races aka lineages now that exist out there thank you for listening to another episode of the it's a mimic podcast if you'd like to support us we have a donate button on our website www.itsamimic.com a store with some it's a mimic merch and a patreon this episode and others can also be found on spotify apple podcasts youtube and most other podcast apps thanks again for listening to it's a mimic where you never know what you're going to get This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Yeah, all right.
Well, that's it for our discussion on sidekicks. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations in... in you guys are the fucking worst. I'm going to start that all over again. Be the fucking worst. Sorry. Can you die? You know what I mean. Indomitable. In, Megan, you're indomitable. <laughs> um, ew, that was really gross. That I don't know if the mic picked that up, but that was disgusting what you just did. <laughs> ew! Oh! <laughs> so, so Dave just cracked his nose. Yeah, here we go. He looked me in the eye and he did it. <laughs> hold on, hold on. When, when we were younger, uh, he was behind me in a van and I was trying to get out. And he was like, grab me by the back of the shirt. Oh. And I turned around with my elbow up and I broke his nose. And we just thought he had a bloody nose and it just never set right. And now he can make it crunch. I've broken my nose like eight times. Oh, I hate that for you. And I hate that for me yeah. right now. Well, I broke it seven. You broke it once. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I get an assist on this. Oh yeah. my God. Anyways. <laughs> I, feel, I feel special anytime. You're very special. Yeah, anytime you need that wet thud. You're so special. Yeah. Did you just call it a wet thud? That's actually a better name for your lion. <laughs> <laughs> gonna name my next sidekick wet thud. <laughs> that is a warrior name. <laughs> he's right up there with he's, goop sack. He's, oh! he's gonna come out and he's clearly gonna be a bugbear and his name is gonna be Ogatagrabra. But translation is wet thud. Wet thud. <laughs> wet thud, yeah. I hate it so much. Okay, getting back to it. Now the monologue. Okay, see you next time.